Oh, well, good evening and uh, welcome uh, to Bible study. And, uh, tonight so we're going to complete our study uh, of the book of Ruth and it's certainly a wonderful end uh, to a story. Now as we conclude uh, this book it's important for us to keep uh, two things in mind as this will help us to uh, understand and appreciate the beauty and the significance of this closing section. And the first thing we need to keep in mind is that this is set in the time period of the judges. If you remember, this is how the book actually opened. It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. And uh, this was a, a time that was characterized by the attitude of everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. They were self-absorbed and self-driven. Uh, but Ruth and Boaz were very different. And they were shining lights in what was a very dark and gloomy time and that they were ordinary people who exemplified the fundamental principle of the Lord to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself okay, and they personified this in a very a dark time so if we compare Boaz and Samson you have polar opposites so we need to remember when this is unfolding and this ought to increase our positive perceptions of both Ruth and Boaz but it's also significant because of what follows the time period of the judges in Israel's history. And this narrative is vital for God's unfolding purposes in Israel, as we'll see. And the second thing that we need to keep in mind is that this closing section is to be viewed alongside the opening section. So personal tragedy commenced the story. In Ruth chapter 1, and personal triumph concludes the story. And we need to view them together. There are thematic connections. And someone called the conclusion a bright color print developed from a gloomy negative. So previously there had been famine, barrenness, and death, and now there's conception and new life. Naomi had been emptied, but now she would experience God's filling. And this is what this closing section is all about. It's a resolution to the death and the emptiness that Naomi particularly had experienced at the beginning of the story. And with those two things in mind, uh, let's read our text for tonight. Uh, Ruth chapter 4, and uh, we'll read from verse 13 down to the end of the chapter. Ruth chapter 4, reading from verse 13. The word of God says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Pharaz. Pharaz beget Hezron, and Hezron beget Ram, and Ram beget Aminadab. And Aminadab beget Nashon, and Nashon beget Salman, and Salman beget Boaz. And Boaz beget Obed, and Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David. Okay, so let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word, we come acknowledging that we need your help. 
and we humbly ask that you would grant it to us. Uh, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, please enable us to uh, comprehend uh, your word, and uh, please uh, grant to us the, the grace that we need to apply it, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think most of us like a story that ends happily ever after. Can we desire that for ourselves? We want that for the people that we love. And we like books and movies that finish that way. Uh, it feels right for there to be a happy ending when the good guy and the good girl comes out on top. And I think we like that in fiction because often that doesn't happen in real life. Uh, but thankfully, the book of Ruth has a very happy ending and it's one that has an eternal impact which was certainly not expected at the beginning of the story when it was all doom and gloom and with that in mind there are two happy ends in this story okay, there's a happy end for the immediate narrative and there's a happy end for the meta narrative and that will form our outline as we consider this final scene. So firstly, let's consider the happy end for the immediate narrative. Now, sometimes the Bible packs an awful lot into a few very short phrases, and it records important events or truth in stunning simplicity. And verse 13 is one such example. This is really the anticipated climax of the story. This is what we've been waiting for, and yet, we're given so little information. We're told that upon assuring his legal right as the kinsman redeemer, Boaz wastes no time and he took Ruth to be his wife, verse 13. And we're given no other details. Okay, this is such an important event, but we're left to use our imagination. And surely this must have been a very joyous occasion. Boaz was quite a wealthy man, so you would assume it would have been quite the feast. And it feels like most of the village would have attended. It would have been quite uh, the celebration. And there mustn't have been anyone happier than Naomi at this time, because her plan had come together. And the Lord had providentially brought these two together. And now we have this situation where not only the famine in the land had been broken but now the famine in Naomi's life was broken blessings were starting to rain down the text then continues okay it informs us that the marriage was consummated okay and and we learn here that your know, sexual intimacy is a wonderful and glorious gift from God it's for our enjoyment it's for our pleasure it's a beautiful and wonderful thing when it's used in God's prescribed boundaries okay and God gives us those boundaries because that's what's best for us okay we're told that Boaz went in unto her that is speaking of the bridal chamber and there too became one flesh okay they were joined physically spiritually and emotionally okay that that's what happens it's much more than just a physical act and then we read what is an amazing phrase and it's one that's just very easy to just fly past I want you to notice that it says the Lord okay, and that should cause us to pay attention this is only the second time that the Lord is mentioned by name in this book okay, the first time was in verse 6 of chapter 1 
And there it was the Lord who had broken the drought. He had given bread to the land. And here it was the Lord who had given conception. So although the Lord is at work throughout this whole narrative, as we've seen, this account here is one of the most spectacular illustrations of God's providence. And it's interesting that the Lord is mentioned twice in this book. And both of these mentions is about dealing with the causes of Naomi's emptiness. It's about confronting the two big issues in the story about famine and death. And it's the Lord who deals with both of them. But this passing phrase has many far reaching implications. It was the Lord who gave her conception. And we see this throughout the Bible. Now, what makes this particularly significant is that Ruth had no children in her previous marriage. She was married for a period of time, years, and yet she had no children. And since there was no modern conception back then and people didn't wait years and years to have children like they do today, this tells us she may well have been barren. So, so here we're meant to see the miraculous. And Ruth joins the line of very important Jewish ladies okay, who the Lord had miraculously opened their wombs after a time of infertility. And this particular point here that the Lord gave conception, okay, this has all kinds of practical ramifications. Okay? It's the Lord who opens and shuts the womb. He determines when one falls pregnant. Okay, although this isn't about abortion, it certainly has implications on the abortion debate. If the Lord gave the conception, we don't have the authority to determine whether the child is kept or not. Okay, we're grossly overstepping our jurisdiction. You know, it also means that every conception is a gift from the Lord and we should praise him for it. But it also means that when one struggles to conceive, that's also a part of God's plan. Okay, and that's a lot harder for us to grasp. And my heart goes out to those who struggle with infertility and such like things. But this is a type of providential hindrance. And it's a burden of living in a fallen and sin-cursed world. And the Lord has special grace for those who endure such heartache. And it seems that Ruth had endured this heartache. But, but if she had conceived to Marlon, things would have been very different. Okay, so, so this situation, at least in her life, get, is actually evidence of God's goodness to her. And the text here seems to convey that she fell pregnant very quickly. Today we would use the term honeymoon baby, and that seems to be the sense here. And we need to identify that this is an answer to the prayers of the legal assembly in the previous scene. Can you remember that they prayed that, uh, that they would be fertile? And although the text then skips at least nine months, that this must have brought a lot of joy into the family. Okay, it must have brought joy to Ruth, to Boaz, and also to dear old Naomi, and even the extended family and community. Okay, this must have been the most anticipated birth in Bethlehem. Okay, lots of excited people. And the excitement would have increased when Ruth had a baby boy. Okay, this is what Jewish families coveted more than anything else. A man-child, because this would continue the name. Okay, he could farm the family land and so on. 
And the Lord blessed Boaz and Ruth with a little boy. And like all new parents, they must have been completely overjoyed. Okay, for those who are parents, as you know, you're holding your child for the first time. Uh, that's one of life's great joys. Okay, I found for me at least, you know, it, it changed me. It changed how I think. And no doubt this is a very special time for these new parents. But what's interesting is that the text focuses on Naomi. She's in the spotlight after the birth of this boy. And that's because he's the answer to her emptiness. In verses 14 and 15, it contains a benediction of sorts. And it's the community women celebrating this birth and the implications that it has for Naomi. Okay, verses 14 uh, says, And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. So, so it commences by acknowledging the Lord. Okay, that's a good place to start. It gives credit to him. And this is very significant theologically, because I've been arguing throughout the study of this book that the Lord's providential hand is all over the narrative. So although he has remained behind the scenes, okay, this is bringing the Lord into the spotlight. And the author wants us to see that the Lord has brought the events in this narrative to pass. Now, the praise song unto the Lord continues. He has not left Naomi without a kinsman. And this is actually focusing on the little boy rather than Boaz. But despite being a baby, in verse 15, he's viewed as the restorer of life. That's a very interesting phrase. Uh, it's used of Elijah when he raised someone from the dead. Okay, so this baby is a life giver for Naomi, he, he will nourish her in her old age. And again, we're to view this in light of the first chapter. Okay, so instead of this death, famine, this emptiness, that there is now this life and nourishment. And it would be this child who would carry on the family line that was headed for extinction. And this boy was a precious gift to Naomi and he was possible because of Ruth. Okay, and these ladies, as they were making this benediction, didn't miss this point. They speak very glowingly of Ruth in verse 15. Okay, the second phrase of verse 15 says, For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. So they, they declare that Ruth loves Naomi. Okay, and this has been evidenced right throughout the narrative. She made that famous declaration in the first chapter. And then she has proven that love over and over again. Okay? And she shows real love. It's not just feelings, but okay, real love is a choice that's proven by action. Okay? It's placing the welfare of another ahead of oneself. And Ruth is a wonderful illustration of this. And she has been a tremendous blessing to Naomi. And this is acknowledged in what is an astonishing compliment that's bestowed upon her. And again, this is one that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but she is better than seven sons. So we need to understand that seven sons, that was the ultimate, that that was the perfect family, seven boys. Uh, I, I don't know about that. I wouldn't. I love my boys, but seven. Whew. And we're told here that Ruth was better than the ideal in a Jewish culture. 
So this is an amazing confirmation of her character. And her great goodness to Naomi is crowned by the birth of this little boy. Now in verse 16, we have what, what is really a sweet and tender moment. It's this dear grandma holding her grandson. She's enjoying this precious moment and no longer is she empty. No longer is she bitter. It's like everything's worth it now as as she gazes on her little grandson. Sure, nothing could bring back her husband, nothing could bring back her sons, but this sure helped to ease her pain. And it seems that she plays a crucial role in the upbringing of this boy. Okay, that seems to be the sense of when it says, and became nurse unto it. Uh, some speculate that she actually adopted the child. Uh, I, I think that's unlikely. But rather, this is a loving grandmother gratefully accepting her new status and tenderly receiving this little baby and glorying in the fact that she's no longer empty. Okay, she's full again. And this little baby boy, who is the happy end of the immediate narrative, is named in verse 17. And the name given to him is Obed. And Obed means one who serves. And what's interesting is that Obed is actually a shortened form of Obadiah. And Obadiah means one who serves God. And commentators speculate that this shortened form seems to stress that Obed would serve Naomi. Okay, so he's the agent of God born to Naomi to take away her bitterness and emptiness and ensure the continuation of the family line. Okay, that's what they believe is the point behind his name. And what we have here is a very happy end to the story. Uh, it started in a very sad way. But, but here it's culminated with great joy. It's gone from death to life, from emptiness to fullness, from bitterness to contentment. And the birth of this baby brings great personal joy to this family. Uh, it's an answer to personal prayers. But this is a story that is much bigger than just Ruth and Naomi. Okay, this story is much more than just God helping this small family in Bethlehem. This is not just some isolated story. And this leads me into the second point, the happy end for the meta-narrative. It's important to remember that the Bible tells one story. It's got one overarching story. And every individual story in the Bible is part of that one overriding story. And this is what's known as the meta-narrative of scripture. And the account before us is a happy end for the Bible storyline. And in fact, this is an incredibly crucial moment. Okay, we're told in verse 17 that Obed would be the father of Jesse, the father of David. So this little baby boy would be the grandfather of Israel's great king. And remember at this point, they are in the period of the judges, that there is not yet a king in Israel. And this is a real surprise in the story. But what's interesting is that there was actually a subtle hint right at the beginning. Because the author identified Elimelech as from the family clan of the Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah. 
And what's very interesting is that in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 12, we're told this. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, same phrase, whose name was Jesse. So, so there was a little clue very early in the story, and now it's wonderfully confirmed. And what this does is help us to realize that this happy end is not just a resolution for Naomi, but rather this has national significance. This boy, Obed, he is vital for Israel's history. And the Lord's gracious care of these two widows, it takes on a whole new meaning. The text then gives a genealogy. It commences with, these are the generations of. This is actually the same phrase that we've seen throughout our study in the book of Genesis. It's referred to as a toledot. And what's very interesting is that the genealogy of Noah in Genesis 5, and also the genealogy of Abraham in Genesis 11, and this genealogy of David right here, they all contain 10 generations, all three. And these three are key covenantal figures. Noahic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, and Davidic covenant. Okay? And, and there is that striking symmetry. Now we have very little information about most of the people in this list. But the one in focus is David. And we know a lot about him. Okay? He has a key role to play in Israel's history. And what this genealogy tells us is that God had been working out his bigger plans all along. Okay, this was always the plan. Okay, Ruth was going to be David's great-grandmother. And here is the Lord bringing this to pass. And he's bringing this to pass even in the dark ages of the judges. He's still at work. Okay, he's working all of his plans and purposes together. And this is seen even more clearer when we recall another genealogy. It's a genealogy recorded in Matthew chapter 1, the most important in history. Matthew chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 says, And Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And this is the ultimate happy end of the story of Ruth. Okay, her story is all about preparing for the coming of Christ. Okay, it's about the Lord ensuring that Messiah would come. And this is how the story of Ruth fits into the meta-narrative of Scripture. Okay, it's a key piece to the puzzle. And the Lord's providential hand had been all over the events of this narrative in order to bring about the ultimate Happy end, that being the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings an end to our study of the book of Ruth. And what I'd like to do, I want to leave you with five thoughts of application. And what I hope this does is wraps up tonight's study, but also wraps up our study of the entire book. That is my goal. Okay, so five thoughts of application okay number one is the importance of women in god's work 
I don't want us to overlook an obvious application of this book. And that is that women are integral in the story of God and have a key role to play. I think often the role of men is emphasized in the church and in the plans and purposes of God. But ladies, please be encouraged. Ruth and Naomi teach us that you have a key role to play. Your importance in God's work. He has things for you to do in accomplishing his plans and purposes. It's not just a men's game. And you are not inferior in the church. You are not inferior in God's broader kingdom work. In fact, you are integral. Okay? And the Lord values you and has things for you to do for him. So that's number one. Number two, God works through the unimpressive. Okay, God works through the unimpressive. Neither Naomi nor Ruth were impressive in their society. Okay, they were poor and destitute widows, and yet the Lord used them in mighty ways. And think particularly of Ruth. She was a widow. She was poor. She was a foreigner. And she seemed to be barren. So basically, she had everything going against her. And yet, because of her character, the Lord used her in amazing ways. And again, I want that to be an encouragement. This is often how God works. You don't have to be something special. You don't need some your outstanding giftedness. The Lord loves to use normal people to accomplish his plans and purposes. Just run-of-the-mill people like you and I can be used in great ways. So like Ruth, ensure you're a person of character, and you're willing to be used. And if you've got those two ingredients, the Lord can and will use you, even if you're just an ordinary person. Number three, God works even when we make a real mess. Now, what's striking in this story is that Elimelech made a, a real mess. He left the promised land. Naomi went with them. There's nothing to indicate that she was resistant to the move. They did the wrong thing and things went really bad. Three funerals in a foreign land and things looked really bleak. Emptiness, barrenness. It left Naomi empty. Things were a really big mess and it was self-inflicted. And yet the Lord brought amazing good from it. And again, this is encouraging because sometimes we mess it all up. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we do the wrong thing. There's times when we don't handle things well. Sometimes we make bad decisions. But such is the greatness of our God that his plans and purposes aren't frustrated by our inability to get it right. In fact, he often uses our big messes to accomplish his plans and purposes and can even bring good out of the mess that we make. Okay, This is how great our God is is number four god always has a bigger picture in mind god always has a bigger picture in mind now, it doesn't become clear to us until the end but god had bigger things in mind than just ruth and naomi's immediate situation now he certainly cared about them he cared about his predicament that's the heart of our lord but it was much more than just their personal situation this was about two future kings King David and King Jesus. And this reminds us that even in our lives, God always has bigger pictures in mind. And sometimes things will make absolutely no sense to us. We, we struggle to understand what's happening because we're so focused 
in the here and now, and we can become so consumed with our own little existence. Okay, that, that's very normal for we fleshly beings. But the Lord always sees the bigger picture, both in our lives, okay, well, what he's trying to work in us, what, what he's trying to change about us, what he's trying to do in our church, and what he's trying to do in the world in general. There is always much more happening than we realize. And this is very important for us to remember. And the fifth and final point is that in Jesus, our story will have a happy ending. Okay, this story here had a very happy end. And this is what we want for ourselves. This is what we want for those we love. We mentioned that in the introduction. We all want a happy end. And in Christ, that's going to be a reality for all of us. It won't happen in this life. In fact, this life will often be horrible. I'm sorry to burst your optimistic bubble, but that's reality. Life here is hard. Yes, there will be joys, but there's going to be a lot of trials. There's going to be a lot of troubles. But for those of us who know Christ as Savior, my friend, we will have a happy end. The end's already been written. It's assured. And the end is this. We will be with Jesus forever in paradise. That's the best possible end. There's nothing better. And this is assured because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? It's, it's nothing to do with us. It's nothing to do with our merits. It's all to do with him. And yes, this life will often be really hard. Life can be cruel. But this life is not all that there is. And we are insured of a happy end. That is a gracious gift given to us by our God because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, that's our great hope. And I can't think of a better way to bring our study to a close. In Christ, our story will have a happy end. Amen. Now let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for the study that we've been able to have uh, through the book of Ruth. Uh, I do pray that now we would have a, a greater understanding uh, of this book, how it fits uh, into the Bible, uh, but also that we would see how it points uh, to our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, I do thank you uh, for those who have come out tonight, and I do ask that you would watch over them as they travel home. I pray this in Jesus' name.